You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Thank you for joining us. If you're here for Nestor Carbonell, you, f- you found the right place. If I messed up his name, he'll kill me. He's awesome. This guy is so awesome. I, I met him at a con. He couldn't be nicer. He's not only a great actor, but he's a great guy. He's a director. He's a He does it all. But what a sweet man. And I've always been a fan. I've seen a lot of things he's been in. And uh, I'm a big fan. So listen to some stuff that we're going to talk about, and then we'll get into that. But uh, if you really enjoy the podcast, it helps us so much. If you write a review, subscribe, tell other people you really liked it and to give it, give it a chance. Um, at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at Inside of You Pod on the Twitter. And uh, look, it's the SAG after strike. And uh, what that means for the podcast is a lot of these, all these as of now are pre-recorded, so we're okay. And we put a little disclaimer, but, um, you know, uh, the podcast will continue. It's continuing. We've got permission. Other podcasts are doing it. We just have to find, uh, you know, you know, what's the word? Um, listen to the guidelines mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. Follow the follow the guy follow, follow 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 me follow me follow me follow me. Mm-hmm. That was Snoop Dogg who said that. But um, but yeah, we've got a lot in the can, so nothing to worry about. We've got a, at least another couple of months before I need new guests, mm-hmm. so no need to worry. But if you want to join Patreon to support the podcast and keep it afloat, like my patrons have done. <clears throat> patreon.com slash inside of you very important um top tiers get there's a lot of perks and we're adding perks but the top tiers get a box sent for me every couple months and a personalized note um they get uh youtube lives where we they ask questions they get to ask shit talking questions on that are now i think going to become a a patron exclusive um and so many more things so join patreon support the podcast become a top tier patron if you want or just give it any way you can um, I will be at a bunch of cons in September. So go on my link tree on Instagram, the link link tree, and you can see where I'll be. I'll be all over. So come see me. I'd love to see you trying to get a big Patreon gathering, probably in DC. Um, even if it's for an hour or so, just to see all you guys, I would love that. Um, but yeah, that's what I'll say. That is what you said. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Inside of you online store, tons of cool merch, uh, new zip up jackets that were a bestseller inside of you. Ryan has one. I have one. I love them. They're the most comfortable things you'll ever wear. I promise you. Um, they're on sale along with a bunch of other cool, cool stuff. And um, I'm on the cameo as well. And uh, the band Sunspin, sunspin.com to get merch, Zooms, all that stuff. You can also get Zooms with me and Tom Welling on the um, Talkville podcast. Oh, uh, website. Neat. Uh, okay. I guess we should get into it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's time we get into it. Do you have anything else you want to share? No, this you is were wearing good... the same shirt last week. I was, was I? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are homely people. Oh God. No, this one's a fun one. Uh, I'm excited for this one. And by the way, how are you guys doing? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't ask all the time. But I do care. Ryan mm-hmm. cares. Uh, Ryan, are you, you? You feel like your mental health is in a better place? It's, it's in a place. It's in, of constantly being worked on. It's constantly sure. being worked on, and I think that's good. You're still with better help. Yep. The, yeah. Some days are better than others. Yeah, absolutely. But it's important to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to have those weeks. You're going to have good weeks where you don't think you need therapy, and then but, people tend to <laughs> not go to therapy. 
oh, save a buck, and I don't mm-hmm. need it because I feel good. Yeah. But it's it's a it's a check in. It's like working on your body. It's mm-hmm. like physical. You know what I mean? You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta keep that up, man. Mm-hmm. Um. So I hope you're all doing well and taking care of yourself because you're the most important things. If you're trying to take care of a million things and you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be good to anybody, including yourself. So I'm just uh, hoping you're uh, looking out for yourself. All right. Without further ado, let's get into it. Let's get inside of Nestor Carbonell. He's got a wonderful career and you're going to love this guy. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Hey folks, wanted to highlight something important before today's episode. In case you weren't aware, myself and many of the guests are on strike alongside SAG, AFTRA, and WGA. Today's episode and any we air before the strike ends were recorded before it began. So this is just a heads up in relation to some for the topics we may discuss. If you want more info on the strike, visit SAG After Strike. Dot org. Now let's get into it. I want to make it like a sort of a uh, a retreat in a way. You come over, you put your feet up, you relax, we karaoke, we watch movies, we hang out in the back, we have drinks, we play games. You know, it's kind of like I'm a big kid and I just want, you know, my grandma's house was always open to everybody, but my parents, it wasn't. So I never was allowed to have friends over. It's interesting. So like what was everything was meticulous and very You normal? know what's really weird? It just, it makes a lot of sense. So my mother, if you walked in the house like perfect um carpet you know how the, the vacuum yeah it's perfect everything looked perfect right but if you ever opened a drawer or a cabinet or a, everything would fall apart i mean it was just in shambles a mess but was it disorganized or just like bro- broken uh, just disorganized in the in the drawer you realize oh my god this is broken and just things stuffed in there like everything on the outside and it you know it's it's funny we're recording right it's funny because a lot of times I look at myself and I go, okay. And my therapist said this. They're like, you need to keep everything around you in order. You need to be, you know, I guess meticulous is the word you use. Sure. But um, if everything around you is not in order, you will not be in order. And so it's it seems to me like there's so much going on in my mind. Um, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of, you know, I grew up with a lot of dysfunction and stuff that I talk about, but uh I just, this is so funny. I'm just thinking about this for the first time, but my mother, everything on the outside appeared. So it was almost like her personality. She would pretend that I've got everything going on and she, she didn't, she like inside, she was like dealing with a lot of stuff and anxiety and, you know, just, so I wonder how many people do that. Like how many people sort of like, Hey, you walk in, their house is really clean and, but they're a mess. Well, let's start with Instagram. I mean, you know, yeah. you know that that is sort of an extension of what people of of essentially what you're saying your mom would would do is, is you paint a picture for the outside world that isn't entirely accurate, you know. Right. And and it's you know I think that a lot of us do that, you know. I mean, a, a lot of us are. I, I, no, I'm certainly guilty of that. And then you have to check yourself. You have to be like, dude, let's get real. You know, there's uh, it's not it's not what I'm portraying all the time. Right. And. As as I know you know, because you're, you're such a, I mean, I, I just you know from, from when I met you, you know, in Cincinnati, you when you talk to people, you want to get at the truth. You want to, and and you're open about how you truthfully are as well, which disarms people in a great way, 
and allows them to open up. And that is how you connect with people ultimately. When I meet people for the first time, you know, usually everything's surface. You know, it's like, yeah. you, you don't have time to like, you know, it's usually, hey, how you doing? No one's gonna be like, oh, not great. You're like, oh shit, what happened? You know, usually it's just like, hey, nice to meet you. Oh yeah, great. Oh, you know, when it's like- When it's a quick one, yes. Yeah, of course. But like, I, when I met you, however brief, and we talked a bit, a little bit, and we were on the plane together. Yeah. But I, and I told Ryan, I go, this guy is like the most down to earth, just, I mean, it just feels like you're just a regular good guy who, I mean, on the outside, at least, on the looks outside. like he has shit together. <laughs> no, but uh, thank you. But no, I'm, I'm like everyone else, you know, you know, full of a thousand contradictions, you know, uh, a mess many days, sometimes less so than others, you know? When you say a mess, what does I that mean, mean? I mean, you know, like anything, you know, I, I mean, I, I struggle with just, uh, you know, any, any, the typical fears that people struggle with, you know, day to day, the voices in your head that they're saying that the criticisms and all that stuff. And a lot of it is like, okay, let's manage those, you know? And, you know, you pick up things along the way and you, you lean on things that you've learned. But by and large, you know, for for me, you know, and as an actor, you know, Ryan, you're an actor as well, right? Yeah. Ish. Yes, you are. <laughs> I've been on the YouTube, yes. Yes, you are. Yeah, you're I've been on the YouTube. You're, or, or are you saying like in life, like, yeah. Sure. <laughs> We're all putting on a face, that hey, kind of thing. Well, there's that too. There's the double entendre. But, you, yeah. you know, but, you know, in, in this business, you know, whether it's on YouTube and any medium, you know, it's it's tough and it's tough not to hear the, the 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 voices of criticism in your head and how do you navigate those things and how do you deal with anxiety and how do you deal with you know a, a career that is like it's so unpredictable you don't know there's no consistency necessarily unless you get on a show and you hope that there's a level of consistency there and even then that goes away that goes away it's ephemeral everything's ephemeral there's no question you so, know um What's crazy is I look at your, um, by the way, how would you say your name? Like the real way you say it? Uh, Nestor Carbonell. No, in, in English. <laughs> I mean, like if you were in Cuba or you were somewhere, like, how would you say it? Uh, my, my parents would say Nestor Carbonell. Nestor Carbonell. Nestor, yeah, Carbonell. there's an accent on the E if you want to throw that out. So Nestor Carbonell, but you know, I mean, it's Nestor Carbonell or many other things that people have called me. It's fine. What's crazy is. <laughs> When I first got to see you on TV, I think the first time I saw you, you've been in tons of stuff. And I know I'm, I've seen you, but the, the role that really probably everybody was like, whoa, was Lost, right? That was the big one, one of the big ones. I mean, oh, you were on Suddenly Susan, Susan yeah. you were on yeah. tons of stuff, but like no, the most impact. For sure. I mean, I yeah, that, that opened up the world right. certainly for TV for me in a different way. But yeah. I had, I'm sure a lot of other people didn't realize that, you know, you had this, uh, I, I didn't know you spoke like that. You could speak Spanish like that. You could speak, you know, that you, you, where your roots are. If you just look at you, right. you, you don't think that. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm sure maybe he's, is it Italian? Italian? Is it, is it Jewish? Yeah. And then you start speaking. I'm like, Everlson, how did he learn all that? <laughs> well, he actually speaks the language. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, no, well, thank it's you. It's a cool I, thing. Thank you, bud. I, I mean, I, I I was born to Cuban uh, exiles who exiled Cuba in 1960. My parents both, you know, exiled. They met actually. Was that hard to do, by the way, what, what, to what, leave Cuba for them? It was brutal. I bet they they. I mean, they had to. They had to. What what they were facing at the time, you know. I mean, but our our family's history there is 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 pretty is is very tragic. You know, certainly within the after the Castro's revolution, I had an uncle who 
who was executed by Castro. Another one was uh, in prison for 17 years. You know, uh, was this your dad's brother? My dad's uh, cousin. Cousin. Your dad's cousin. cousin. Absolutely. And my father participated in the Bay of Pigs. Uh, uncle wow. in prison for 17 years and tortured for rejecting indoctrination into Marxism. So we have a, a long history of, you know. Wow. So they, they fled, you know, hoping to return or fight for, you know, freedom in Cuba. And, you know, and they didn't, you know, they never returned um, because, you know, the Bay of Pigs fiasco. And so, so yeah, it was brutal for them to leave. My mom was 15, you know, didn't speak a, much English at all. So, uh, and they and, moved here. Yeah, they. My mom landed in, in New York, no, in Miami first, in different homes. Like they were just sent to like. If there's an aunt or uncle living there at the time, or had a, a place temporary, with the the idea that they were going to go back. That there was no way that the U.S. would allow this, you know, Marxist you know, stronghold, you know, 90 miles off their shore. Right. And and they never went back. My mom didn't see her mom, my grandmother, for nine years. So because oh, her mother stayed in Cuba and sent the kids off. To relatives in, in Miami, so so it was really tough for them. So I grew up with those stories, you know. And it's, was it hard for them in the United States because people are like, oh, you're Cuban, oh, we're, we're at war with Cuba. We're there's this. Was there any of that, like I, sort of like uh, Pearl Harborish, you know, Japanese Americans and dealing with all that shit? I know that there 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 was tough transitions, you know, in the beginning in Florida. You know, I mean, there's a language barrier. There's you're right. Anytime an, a new immigrant group or exile group comes in. There's always like, you know, what do we do with this? You know, and and understandably, you just, you don't know, and to a certain extent, who the, you know, why they're here, what's going on. So, I could see, you know, why I could I could I could understand why that that would happen. So yeah, they they encountered some of that, uh, and yet they also encountered a country that opened them up, you know, were open to them with yeah. open arms, and quickly embraced it as their own. And thank God for this country, you know I mean? And thank God that this country was here for them because uh, they would never have had those opportunities anywhere else. Yeah. Were you privy, I mean, to seeing the strength of your parents? Was it pretty, tr was pretty apparent how strong they were and how hardworking they were and how, you know, was that apparent to you? It's a great question, man. And, I, and I'd love to hear your end of this too uh, on, on well, your parents. Well, I don't know if you do. I do. <laughs> well, I do because right. I'm, I'm, well. No, no, no. I, 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 I want to I consider myself incredibly lucky because they, they didn't, they came with nothing. They came with what they had in their pockets. They they came from families that were prominent in Cuba politically and and you know, and they'd done well over the years. Um, they lost it all. It was all taken uh, by Castro. So, so they, they had money and they were doing really well in Cuba. Yeah, yeah. like, yes, they, they were, yes. And they, they, and they were fighting for democracy. They were fighting against the incumbent dictator who was Batista right. as much as they were against Castro. They're trying to restore democracy. My, so, you know, so they were, yeah, they were, they were, but they lost it all. Like every Cuban exile, they came with what they had in their pockets. So I grew up with those stories, with stories of them having nothing. Uh, my, the only thing my father did have was, was a great education. And that's no small yeah. thing. That is no small thing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out. And it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here have been using it for a while. And I you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp when you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session, of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. 
And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found, I got Rocket Money. <laughs> I, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I don't like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. So, you know, they they my, they both work so hard, incredibly hard. Uh, my mom was a tour guide at Rockefeller Center. My dad, you know, had a law degree. He was he was nine years older than her. So at he least, went to Harvard, right? He went to Harvard. And he got his master's there. So he and your sister went to Harvard. He got a, she got a master's degree. And you there went well. to Harvard. That's so annoying. I know. It's I know. not annoying. It's like wow. I mean, it almost seems like my, the real reason I'm sort of saying that is because what I'm thinking is. How hard on you would it have been to see your your parents? And I want you to keep talking about what you were talking no, about, no but seeing them how hard they were in their education and your dad being a lawyer. But also, 
was it a stress on you that I have to follow in my father's footsteps of the education and I have to work really hard and I have to, was it ingrained in you? You know, it's another great question. <laughs> Dude, you're full of great questions. You really are. Like, get ready for the bad ones. Get ready for the bad ones. No, because it, yeah, I was very lucky in the sense that my father struck this balance and my mother as well, where it was not about the result and it was always about the effort. I remember like I had, we, we lived, we had the privilege of living in London three different times because my dad worked for Pepsi International. We were moved all over the world. Right. And I remember we were, I was there, it was third or fourth grade. I was in the American school in London at one point. And he, I, you know, he came back, my grades came in and he's like, okay, we need to talk about this. I go, what? He goes, I, the, this, the, the B minus the C plus here, I don't care about that. He goes, it's this section here on effort where you have a C, that's the one that bothers me. Hmm. And I was like, and it sank in, I go, what? He goes, I don't care about the result. I want you to work hard, whatever you do. And since that moment, it's interesting how that stayed with me. I was like, okay, I'll just work hard. I'll just work hard. I work hard. And and it and it, it did stay with me. So I never had that, they never imposed on me, you have to go to this, this school or that school. It was never about that, but it was understood that that we were expected to work our butts off, you know, and not take these opportunities for granted. That's awesome what about you to have, I wanna, <laughs> well this is uh the podcast about you no no, uh, no look, it's a give look, and take people look um i didn't come from a very um you know i wouldn't say normal family i you know definitely dysfunctional as i talked about ad nauseum but you know in terms of education um I, I've always had attention deficit disorder. I've always, I mean, I know sometimes it feels like an excuse to people, like everybody's got a deficit. If you get to know me, like Ryan, or if you get to know, you know, it's like, squirrel. It's like, it's really hard for me to focus. And being a child, uh, you know, I wasn't drugged up, which I'm grateful for. But at the same time, um, there wasn't a lot of patience in my household. No one sat me down and said, hey, you know, let's just take our time, take a deep breath let's learn this and let's, you know, and no, it, I had, there was no, it was just like, I'm not getting good grades. Why? I don't know. Get better grades. There wasn't any of that. So for me, it was just growing up feeling really stupid. Like I felt I wasn't intelligent. I, I can't do things and my grades are bad. Why can't I do even simple things? And no, it's like, it's almost like no one just really paid enough attention or any attention. So I felt like I was colorblind yet. I was going to art class and getting D's and F's. Mm -hmm. And no one was figuring it out. And I'm like, why are you failing the color wheel? Primary colors, secondary colors. I was like, it's all, I don't know what any of this means. I, so it just felt like I had a learning uh, deficiency. And so I look back and I definitely am able now to think, hey, you didn't have the things you needed as a child. Right. You didn't have the patience. You didn't have the understanding and the love and all the things that a child in his developmental stages needs. So I'm aware of that and it comforts me knowing that, you know, that was unfortunate and it wasn't my fault and I wasn't dumb. I just didn't have the right circumstances. Right. I think my parents did the best they could. Right. You know, my dad worked, never missed a day of work, worked right. from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., came home, had dinner, you know, you know, hopefully he was in a good mood. Uh, and then I left and I was, so we didn't have really the best relationship. It wasn't really affectionate or anything like that. So it's different. It's different. Um, um, but I do, I am, what's the word? I respect that my father really worked hard and provided for his family. But I think um, some men or women think that just providing alone, you're a great parent. 
if I put a roof over your head right. and I give you the things you need, that means I'm a good parent. And that's not true. It's more about the affection, the love, the understanding, the patience, all the things that go into parenting. And I just think, think he knew that. They did know that. And my mother, I think, was the center of attention. She wasn't ready. To, she shouldn't have had children. You know what I mean? She, she, was, she was out for herself. She was more in, interested in her life than she was ours. And that's just, yeah. that's just reality. I don't, I don't hate her for it. Yeah. It's just like, that's, so it's a different mentality. That's why I was like, Hey, listen, night and day. And look, it, uh, listen, I'm, I'm a parent now and right. God knows. <laughs> you make mistakes. Uh, uh, do I ever, man. And um, constantly, and I think what's the old adage that you try and screw up your kids uh, half as much as you thought you were screwing up. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm doing, <laughs> how I'm doing on that regard. Are, are you patient with them? You know, I try, I try. Listen, I, you know, there are things I think I do better than other things. And what's your strengths? What's my strength? I I try to lead by example. I try. I don't always. Right. Um, um, I try to uh, own up to my mistakes and, and let them know, you know, I just messed up. You realize that and I'm owning it. Things like that. If they ask you a question, if they say, dad, did you ever drink? Would you go? Yes, I did. Yeah, and that's an interesting question, though. It depends at what age. Of course. You know, Dad, you, are you a drunk? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're eight years old. Not, no, right I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, but, but uh, no, that's a really layered and interesting question because I think there is a time when you can tell them that stuff. Sure, you know? sure, sure. You know, like anything. But no, I think in terms of if, the, uh, you know, trying to pass on things that I find helpful, uh, you know, particularly as we were talking about things that are challenging in this industry, just- like, you know, how to deal with mental health, you know, mm -hmm. how to how to deal with, you know, the voices of criticism, how to deal with anxiety, you know, things that I think I find helpful, uh, things that I find, you know, and you know how the, the old adage that success leaves footsteps is seeing how other people have done it, you know, and, and, and being open to the world and saying, look, you know, you take from this example and this example. Being malleable, right? Just malleable, sort of... make your bed, you know, at least yeah. if you had a bad day, at least, you know, you made your bed. Yeah. You know, it's things like that or it's or it's gratitude. I know I I listened to your interview with Robert Patrick. It was amazing. Oh, and thanks. yeah, it was beautiful. And he spoke about that about how he gets up in the morning and he prays and he gets on he puts a, a pillow on it and he kneels on it and and he and he thanks God for waking up that morning. Do you do that? You know, I don't do that specifically, but you know, not not too long ago we've been implementing this notion of like three things that you're grateful for at the you know, when when we have a meal. That's awesome. And it's and it does affect your day. You know, if you start the day or at least, or even in the middle of the day, if you do that, it puts everything in perspective. It's just, you know, and you know, so, so that the, someone else the other day, I, we were having dinner and someone, I, I'm sure this is something a lot of people know about. I didn't know about this, but he said, instead of saying, I got to do this, you say, I get to do this. I got to. Ryan, think about that when you wake up and like, I got to go do this damn podcast. Hey, I get to do this podcast. It's kind of fun. <laughs> it, 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 it's incredible. I need to do that too. Not not the easiest. You, you got to do that. No, you yeah. get to do that. <laughs> yeah, I get to do that. I got to do. No, I get and to you do get that. To do I get that to make too. that choice. You get to make that choice. <laughs> yeah, to yeah. just get instead of have to. And it's amazing how a shift in a word, you know, the way you ascribe a word, you know, how how, how it changes the meaning or your. So it's things like that that I hope as a parent that I'm able to impart on them. You know that that I think are more helpful than not. When did you decide? Like, uh, I'm sure you told the story, but. You know, you got a degree in English, 
Right? Did you get your master's in Harvard? No, I just it was just uh, it was just Bachelor of Arts. Yeah, Bachelor of Arts. Arts. Yeah, but were you doing theater at Harvard? No. Here's the thing at at, at, at school in Harvard at the time is that there was not much of a, an acting program at all. I didn't know what I was I wanted to do. All I knew was, I you know I, I applied to all these schools, you know, and then I was like, okay, I guess I'll go there, you know, and I had no clue. I had no idea. I didn't know that. Uh, I had no. I'd never acted up, you know, at that point. I hadn't even been in a school play. I had no interest in it. And then, and I, I thought I'd be a lawyer. You know, I thought I'd go into some kind of business. And then there was one elective at the time at Harvard uh, uh, that was um, taught by this man named David Wheeler, who was an incredible acting coach. I think he coached Pacino for years. And, wow. you know, he was, he was well known. And I didn't know anything about him at the time, but I, you know, later found out, oh, uh, he's like a big, he's like a big deal. Yeah. And he uh, introduced me to this book, you know, the class, uh, Meisner on acting, Sanford Meisner on acting. And it wasn't until I read that book, you know, you know, front to co- you know, back, front cover to back, that I realized, wow, this is something I want to explore. And there was nothing else, uh, no other electives at Harvard at the time. There was one other one at the, the American Repertory Theater that you could take a Shakespeare thing. That was it. Other than that, there people were doing uh, plays in the basements of the houses. So what'd you do? So I did plays in the basements. Of the really? Houses. Yeah, <laughs> you did that. And then eventually, I was like, I got to study this technique, you know. And so I had to wait until I graduated, which was a bummer. But, you know, but I couldn't wait. And I, I did, I was like, I got to finish for my parents' sake. Cause I was like, there's nothing here is going to be particularly applicable to what I want to do, but I can't do that to my parents now. And, and did I, they know you were doing this plays in the basement or did they, you they, knew. they, they knew. knew, they did knew, did they see you ever? No, because yeah, it was I in mean, the basement. The ba- who's going to go to the basement? <laughs> you know, the basement. You know, it's not like I was selling out the ART. You know, <laughs> so so no, so I I dropped the bomb on them. You know, and I don't know how that went over with you. You know, because I I think I'd I'd heard you say that. Yeah, I just remember we were in Denny's after I did a play. I think it was Prelude to a Kiss or something, and I just looked at my dad. And I was like, I'm going to be an actor. And he goes, Eat your steak. And that was it. And hold on, was this? You went to college, right? You went to Indiana? Yeah, I went to Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, Kentucky. All of it. Kentucky. My life is just a lot of lucky in the right place at the right time, making the right decisions, and some of it being very prepared, luckily. It was just a lot of, you know, just things that just happened that I, I could have gone in so many different directions. Not many. It would have been like I would have been a DJ at a roller rink. Or a um, working at a go kart shop, or nothing, nothing wrong with Wesselman's Grocery, Second Groceries, sure. or working at Sunoco right. um, gas station, and you know it was one of those things where all of a sudden, uh, you know, one of my, this guy that lived down the street goes, "Hey," and he was popular. Hey, you wanna? Hey, I go to Western Kentucky, man. We'll be roommates. I'm going. I go okay, and I just and I got in. It was easy to get in, and so, then I went there, and that's so, why I went to college. And did you uh, <laughs> did you apply to other schools, or that was just the one? Just that, that was it. That was that was, was it. that was it. But it was an easy school to get into. And by the way, I'm glad it was that school because I learned so much. Because you know, college really isn't all about, or the majority isn't about, you know, great grades, and and it's really about how learning how to be social, learning how meeting people that are on the same wavelength, being creative, um, growing up. There's so many other variables. It's just not, I got to study and get to do this to get to this job. Of course there's that, but you know, I think it's experience and experience, not only with, 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 you know, work, but experience with who you are and growing up and becoming the individual that, you know, you're destined to be. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's the first time for most people that they're out of the house and they're, they're 
they're commuting, they're living with people, you know, roughly the same age and they're kind of on their own ish, you know? Mm -hmm. So there is that, you're right. All the interpersonal stuff, all that social stuff is sort of the first time you're exposed, you're kind of thrown into the, the deep yeah. end in that regard. So that is, yeah, and, but you're right. I mean, for those who are studying, for you and I, who went for more of a bachelor arts degree, it's less about, okay, what grade you're gonna get, unless you're gonna go into mm -hmm. academia and some some level. But yeah, for the people who are trying to, you know, who are, who are gonna become doctors, obviously lawyers, you know. They gotta put the work in. You got engineers. There's, for there's, me, there's I, no that, way around that it. wasn't on the table. No, well, we were, neither from, it wasn't for no. me either. I was not a math whiz or anything like that. So I was never 12 times be. 11. 132? I think that's right. Yeah, because yeah. uh, then you add 12, 144 is 12 yeah. times 12. So yeah. I mean, nicely you know. done. Hey, hey, you know. But what, what, uh, did you have like, obviously doing these plays in the basement and you're getting some, it, was there one person in particular that you remember going, he looks at you and says, or she and says, hey, you got something there. I think you should do that. Was there, because we all need that person. Did it's you such a great, um, Man. yeah it's a it's a really good it's a great point because i've never thought of it like that you had to have someone along yeah, the way even think, if you started to make it you were where wherever you know, that trajectory you know i don't know that there's any one individual who said this like dude you gotta you have to pursue this you know i, I was terrible in the beginning i was awful oh, you know it was, it was i was like what am i i don't you know i was in my head i was like what is nervous nervous all of the above i wanted it you know once i knew i loved it i wanted it too much all those pitfalls you know i fell into and it it just was a gradual sort of progression of i thought of like okay you know i'll find this i'm gonna find it you know so there was one guy at at harvard who did have his own company and he used students his name was eric engel and he did do a few productions that were not in the basement and he was pretty great and i remember i remember he had an impact on me because I, I just I don't know that that was one one guy who who de who definitely did. Um, so yeah, I, I, maybe maybe it was Eric Engel. It might have been Eric Engel. There you Look go. Look at that. You haven't thought about that name for a while. Man, have it's you? been a long time since I thought about Eric. Yeah. Um, what is the first gig you got that you, you're getting paid? You're on TV. It's something like. Uh, do you remember that moment when you found out you got it for the first time? I want to hear about yours too. All right. Okay. Go ahead. All right, we will trade. Okay. But my this one is. I find I thought it was quite epic because I was a kid, you know, I already knew what I wanted. So I, in, in the summers, my parents live in Greenwich, Connecticut. So not a long commute to New York City. I was able to get a waitering job. I met waiters who had commercial agents. I got with a commercial agent, started going out for commercials in the summer. And so I went up for all these, you know, national commercials for, you know, just an all-American kid. And I just wasn't I wasn't getting the all-American roles. You know, I wasn't even getting close callbacks. And a buddy of mine who would book a bunch of these, he's like, dude, you know, you gotta work the, the Latin angle, you gotta work that Latino angle. And I go, yeah, you know, they are gonna send me to some, you know, Spanish speaking ones. He goes, yeah, dude. And he goes, whatever you do, you know, you've seen those things. They're, they're really like sort of exuberant. They're just really, he goes, you just, man, you just go for it. I go, really? He goes, yeah, man, you just go for it. So I went up for the Zest commercial. And I'm zestfully clean? Exactly. You're not fully clean? Until you're zestfully clean. Okay, good. So try doing that in Spanish. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.
And so, Can you do it? Yeah. Si usted se baña con jabón, mire lo que se pierde. Yes! So, so that was the copy. And it was like, I remember like going in there, getting this copy, and there's like 400 dudes had signed up before me. I'm like, oh, oh my God. And then I, I, I had my friend in my head saying, no, you got to, you got to. And I had like this awful, like cliched moment in, in the mirror outside, you know, in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the bathroom of the, outside the casting office. And I'm like, okay, dude, go for this thing. You know, you're going to go for it. You're going to go for it. And I did. And I went for it. And I got in there and I go, si usted se baña con jabón, mire lo que se pierde. And the casting director goes, great, give me more. So I like, I just kept amping it up. She goes, that's amazing. So I went home, I booked the job. I was, I was like 19. It was, I was going to get my SAG card. I was over the moon. I was like jumping up and down. I got the calls. I get to the set and I remember meeting the director and he goes to me, Hey, do you remember what you did in the audition? I go, yeah. He goes, don't do that. I'm like, oh no. What? I was like, what? He goes, don't do that. I go, oh, okay, we're, we're not going to do that. I go, obviously, they just hired me for my look or my, you know, I don't know. my. But it was my, in Spanish. Like, it wasn't Spanish. I just had to do it. So you just did it very <laughs> calm down. Is that it? I, I brought it down a few notches, but it was, to me, I, I hit the lottery, you know. And, and I was, it ran for a while? It ran, ran for enough. They didn't pay much. The, the, the Spanish ones so don't pay what? much. But it, who cares, man? It, it was exactly, it was like, it's more than I was waking up, making as a waiter. And it was my sad card. And I was 19. That's and I was beautiful. like, I want to hear yours. You know, I think I got this part on, it was called, it was a CBS show, Matt Waters, educating Matt Waters with Montel Williams. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he was the lead. And, um, Selma Blair was in the episode. It was just an oh, episode. Wow. It was the only, it's one of the few episodes of television I've done, if not as a, as a guest star. Oh, really? And I had the best time. We shot for like two weeks and I was just in heaven. I got to improvise and have fun. I felt like I was a kid. I didn't care about where the camera was, what it was doing, how I looked. I just was enjoying life. Oh. And, you know, I made like, I remember it was like 1800 bucks for the episode. <clears throat> and I was like, oh my that's, Lord. That's amazing. Actually, rewind that. My first gig was I was on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. And this is when nobody wow. listened to him. That's nobody. Amazing. Late Night with Conan O'Brien. And the character, I was a character who didn't make the show. But they still showed the character. So it was two. That's funny. It was the Amsterdam kids. And it was two kids who were misinformed about Amsterdam's liberal social policies. Maybe I'll put this on air. It's And it was just like, hey, Conan, man. I had this long hair down to my shoulders. I'm like, he's like, yeah, so it's the Amsterdam kids, folks. And I go, yeah, Conan, you know, man, in Amsterdam, you could just squat down in the middle of the street and take a dump. <laughs> And no one will care, man. It's performance art, Conan. He's like, no, no, no. That that's not true. No, it's true. And we, I went on and on, and it turned into like six episodes. What? And it was so heartbroken when they stopped. But you know what kind of always bothered me? I, I was a guest on Conan O'Brien, and I and I like Conan. But uh, we did a pre-interview, you know, the pre-interviews. Yeah. And I said, oh, I have a great story because I used to be, uh, you know, recurring character when the show, when he was just first, he goes and comes back to me. He goes, yeah, Conan doesn't want to talk about that. He doesn't like to talk about that old. I go, it's epic. I was like, it's epic. I yeah. never understood it, but I was like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about, I guess, today's news. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. It was fine. It was fine. But um, that, so that when you booked that, what was that for you emotionally? And how did how did you tell your parents? Did you tell them? Like, I still have the message. Um, oh wow! You know, 
they i don't remember them going wow this is great you're playing this you know character on the show that nobody watches i don't remember them being but i remember my friend kent brenneman left a message which i still have he goes rosenbaum (laughs) good lord son i'm turning on the tv and i see you on there on this conan or whatever (laughs) dude give me a call and I gave him a call. I hadn't talked to him for a while. And he was a good buddy growing up. And after after that, we just oh, remained amazing, close dude. friends. But I remember he, I was like, wow, he's excited. Uh, so it's always fun when your friends are excited or your friends might watch a show that you do. or Because most of the time, they're like, eh, most of the time you do a lot of work that no one, that goes unnoticed. Sure. People, most people don't have time. Like, I'm like, hey, man, I'm doing this. Everybody watch. And nobody watches. Do you ask your friends and family to watch stuff you do? No, very, very seldom. Uh you know, with music, I'll say, I, I, the first album, I was like, hey, guys, we worked really hard. Could everybody do this? You know, I sent out like 50 emails to friends, right. just a, a thing. And, yeah. you know, but I, I, I don't really do that a lot. Right. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't say, hey, watch this, do this. Yeah. I just kind of like, you know, if they know I'm in it, you know, you hope they'd go see it. It's interesting. I, I feel the same way. I mean, I, I do do some, you know, obviously the Instagram, the, the you know, and but I feel, and I wonder if it's if it's more of you know you don't want to you know burden people with like having to watch it as much as it is preserving that fourth wall, so that when you're performing, you're not thinking about like who's going to be watching this. You're, mm-hmm. you're you're in the moment. Yeah, I think if you think too much sometimes, and like having people on set always bothered me. Can't have it. And I and I have had it before. Like even at a convention that I was at, so one of my friends. You know, hey, can me and the family? And I hadn't seen them in so long, and they right. moved, and I, I, I felt like I have to see them. Right. But you know, it was, it it was like you know, I had to. It's energy. It's a lot of energy, and and when they're on the set, no. you know, it's always like someone's watching me. I can't really focus. I'm not. Well, you're not uh, in it. You, I'm not in it. Have you done that before and regretted it? Oh yeah, completely. Yeah. No. 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 No one. You know. Now, no one anymore. No one. No comes anymore. On and set. now with COVID, you can't anyway. Right. But even right. before that, for, yeah. Very. Also, you know, it, it, you know, after a half hour of craft service and them hanging out, their they're trailer, bored. They're bored out Everybody's of their Everybody's bored. No, no one cares. Bored. It's like no one wants to visit. You're something. doing this scene for four hours now. Exactly right. Yes. Are they going to move on? Yeah. I'm like, I hope so. <laughs> now you know that it's not that glamorous. Did you? ever deal with like i mean we're getting into like you know the career and stuff because i know you did a lot of tv guest stars i know yeah. you did a lot you soap opera and you did all these things um were you always did you were you excited about the things as they started happening or was there a time when you said oh fuck another guest star for this when am i gonna nah. get or were you always kind of excited and eager and like living in the moment you know i mean I get to do this. I always got to do those guest stars. And no, listen, there was a time when, when you're like, no, no, I, I don't know that I ever fully, fully, you know, took those opportunities for granted, especially at the time, because it was, I was trying to build, you know, a, a, you know, a resume and, and also trying to, and it was, it, with, with a guest spot, usually it was like, oh, I haven't played this role before. This is, this might be interesting. So it was, you know, and at the time it was really the only way to cobble together a year. It was like, you want to book, uh, you know, guest spot and that kind of thing. I'll tell you the most impactful guest spot that turned into probably one of the biggest opportunities of my life was was Lost. You were a guest star. Lost was Lost was. I'll tell you quickly how that happened. 
I, my wife was a huge fan of the show. I'd watched the pilot and I was like, cool, but I lost the thread. So I, I stopped watching, you know, a few episodes in, but she was like a devoted fan. And then- Me uh, too. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and, and uh, a year and a half into her- And I like the ending. I don't care what people you, say. Thank you for that. I you, really did. You and me both. Um, so you were along for the emotional ride. I, exactly. Yeah, I got really go. emotional at well, the end. Well, there yeah. you go. So, so I remember she said, look, and she was acting at the time. She goes, if either one of us gets- a, a job on that show we're all going to hawaii if it's a guest spot we're all going that's the rule and i'm like all right shannon all right fair enough sure enough i get the i get an audition this is uh the beginning of season three and i'm like oh man and we had to go to a, a kids orientation for uh, for a preschool for our you know, oldest son and we're like i i, I got to do this this audition it's 13 pages of material like i'll never know this by tomorrow i this it's not going to happen and my wife's like look just don't say no anyway long story short I looked at the material. Oh, you I worked, didn't have it memorized. No, it wasn't. I wasn't off book. And then I woke up in the morning saying, "There's no way I'm going in on this thing and blowing my shot on Lost and this and that." And then I read it and I was like, "You know what? To hell with it. I'm going to go." And I bailed on my kids' uh, education. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, I'm, nice. "I'm going in this room." And I didn't know the material all that. I certainly didn't know off book. I knew the, the essence of it. Go in there, but usually I want to. I don't know how about you. I like to be off book. Look, I have to be off book, I think, you know, okay. and, uh, and the thing is, it's I, I've talked about this, but it's not easy for me to learn lines as fast as most people, but okay. I like to be off book. Yes, always, always, yeah, but go ahead. So you can relax and you can, yeah. and you can play yes. and you can truly be there. Of course. I, I, and most actors do, not all, but most. And so I wasn't obviously, and I go in there and I, and then I see guys who are completely different age, you know, uh, you know, uh, race, everything, you know, types. And we're like, wow, this is, I don't know what, I don't know if they know what they want necessarily for this role. I was like, I'll just do my thing. And I went in there and it was one of those, I'm sure you've had these where you're like, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. And it, it, it somehow comes together in the room. It doesn't always happen. <laughs> Certainly not for me, but I was like, I think that came together. I think there was some connecting and I think it kind of worked, but you never know. But sure enough, I get the I get the yes, and I'm like yeah, you know, and I, it was almost like that Zest commercial. I had that same sort of reaction. He's like, we're going, to, I'm going to Hawaii. My wife's like, we're all going. I was like, okay, we're all uh, going. yeah. So we all went for the guest spot. Sure, you know, did this backstory for uh, you know Elizabeth Mitchell's character, and I was like, that's it. I'll never. I'm not coming. Man, I was in a backstory. There's no way. And then I get a call five weeks later. They want you back on the island in present time, and that changed everything. So that there was an opportunity. There was when they said that. At that point, I was like. What does this mean? Because is it one episode, they said? No, they just said they couldn't say. And they didn't know. They didn't know And where. they wouldn't give you a guarantee of at least three? No. There was Nothing. No, there you was just no. went. I just went and I was like, I'm not going to question this. We're, we're just going to, we're going to go with the flow. And I went and then I kept coming back and coming back. And then the role sort of is this role that was shrouded in mystery. And so I benefited from that because it was like, well, who the hell is this guy? He's weird. Such looks, a cool, weird. Looks like he's of... got eyeliner on. Uh, you know, <laughs> you hear that a lot because you have. I wish you don't understand. You've got the best eyebrows, eyelashes. I mean, you're just so like you look at you're like you're striking. I, but for me, Thank I have you, to have buddy. my friend Joe come over and darken oh, my eyebrows. On, I look man. like an albino. I swear <laughs> to God, she darkens my eyebrows. Uh, when I'm on set, they have to do that. They have to, you know, I'm just kind of like plain Jane here. But no, anyway, man. go ahead. So that becomes something, but they still don't make you a regular till season six. And in fact, the head of uh, ABC, didn't they were like no more guest stars for him? Or they were like, it was, it was like, you know, you. it was during the writer's strike and oh. a lot of shit was going on. But did you ever think you could be a regular? 
Well, it's interesting how this how this happens, you know. And this have is, you told this? I don't think I've told this particular part of of, of oh good of how this works out. So it they didn't know. To, and to be fair to the writers, they they didn't know where the role was going. They, they sort of went with it. They knew where the show was ending and where it was beginning. It was going to start on Jack's eye and and on his eye. And emotionally, they knew and and thematically, they knew everything else was movable parts. And which was what was amazing about the show is that you know they they it's like what. Uh, what uh, Damon said is like, you know, once they, you know, they hit the walls, they started to, they're like, they're, they're boxed in. Well, they started to climb up the walls. And so, so they were so inventive and, and the show was so rich in that way. And it was amazing. And my character benefited from that. So lo and behold, it gets to a, a point where, you know, it's, I love guesting on it. I've been recurring on it now for a season a, a bit, but I need, I need pilot. I need to get a pilot. I need pilot money if they're not going to commit to anything. You know, I got to support the family. Yeah. My, my wife had just, you know, uh, essentially quit, you know, acting. So I was like, it's on me now. I got to get at least a pilot fee, if not a pilot that goes to start paying for these schools and, you know, you know, and just life. And so I was like, well, I'll just, you know, and so I did this pilot called Kane for CBS. Kane. is about uh, a Cuban family of sugar, you know, uh, in the sugar business in Florida and uh, with Jimmy Smits and Hector Elizondo, Rita Moreno. Awesome. It's a great cast, amazing cast. And, um, but I was like, I hope this doesn't jeopardize my role on Lost. Yeah. As we asked, we said, look, I may do this pilot, but if you guys offer us something, just even a, a six minimum episode thing, I won't do the pilot because I, I want to preserve this on Lost because, you know, I mean, I love the role. Well, they and, wouldn't do that. And they're like, we just don't know. We can't. So I was like, well, you know, I got to pay bills, man. I got to, you know. Yeah. And look, the cane was a great opportunity in and of itself. Yeah. It was like these great cast. So I was like, I, and, but I've got to also feed the family. Right. So, so I went, I did cane. I had a blast on cane. And then I go back and they call me back on Lost. And I was like, oh, they need me now on Lost. And then I, I remember landing in Hawaii and I remember telling Jack Bender, I go, don't kill me off. Do not kill me off on the show. I don't know that this pilot's gonna get picked up. So I, please don't kill me off. <laughs> and he goes, what's it about? He goes, well, it's about this, you know, wealthy uh, Cuban family and, you know, that is in the rum business and, you know, Florida. He goes, it's about rich people in Florida. He goes, that's never gonna go. You know, so <laughs> just conceptually, he's like, that's not gonna get picked up. And sure enough, it gets picked up and they don't kill me off. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> no. I mean, I'm like, now wow. I hope I didn't put the show in a pickle, but you know, but not now, your fault. But it's now, you know, so not my fault. So sure enough, you know, but now I was like, I hope we're able to work around, you know, and I did 13 episodes of Kane. It didn't go beyond that. But as I'm doing that, I'm hoping, I hope they bring me back on Lost. And sure enough, Kane, you know, Kane gets killed through the writer's strike. And then, and then Lost does call me back and I, and I go, great. And then at that point we're like, hey, can we do a deal, anything? You know? And they're like, we just don't know where the role's going. And they didn't know, they didn't know. So very long story, I you know, continue doing Lost and then another opportunity comes up and it's just a, t a six episodes to test for Kath and Kim. You know, to, you know, to play one of them. And they're forced, you forced their hand inadvertently and- And that's when they made the deal. Those bastards. But listen, it's just the way of the business. I know. They're trying to save money. No. They don't want to make you a regular. It's like, you know. And they don't They know. knew how an integral, you know, I mean, listen, it was. They, they do and they don't. I, to be fair, I, I don't, you know, when, when it's that. And there's a lot of characters. That's what I'm saying. Is like, yeah, I and, know. That's and, true. And if you get on the other side of it as a producer, you have to think, 
look, it's not an unlimited budget, you know, and, and these things get inflated very quickly and it's crazy where they start cutting and they have to, because they have to justify it. So I get the other side of it, you know, yeah. it's just the business. Yeah, it's just yeah. the, it's just the nature of it. And until you learn leverage, you, you, you don't know what, you know, what you have. And it's not, uh, you know, not, there's no animosity there. It's just, it's just understanding how it works, you know? Yeah. You know, you, we were talking originally about <clears throat> before that story and the other story, which are great stories, but we we're talking about like, you, you know, you didn't mind being guest stars. And that's ah. because you especially have, I mean, I don't want to say lucked out, but you have I worked have hard out. improving yourself and they were like, whoa, we got to bring this guy back over and over again. It even happened on Bates Motel, right? Weren't you a guest star on that? Well, or like a recurring? Well, Bates was different. Bates was, you know, I'd worked with Carlton Cuse on Lost. You know, he was one of the exact producers on that show. And so he asked me to come and do Bates. But it was, again, they didn't have the money to make me a regular. Right. So it was like, look, this will be a recurring. We'll give you, this is what we can afford first season. If there's chemistry between you and Vera... We're thinking long play there, and then we'll make a regular second season, and so that's what happened. So, so, it, but still, sort of like that's sort of the same thing. There was an if. It's but, sort of. But an you if proved come, yeah. yourself as an actor, and they're like, "Oh my god, we got to get this guy." Well, you're right, but then again, you know, Michael, you know this more than anyone is that as an actor that you're you're always kind of auditioning for your job. Yeah, you know, until you somehow become somewhat ind indispensable to the storyline, and it's rare that that happens. You're you're always kind of auditioning for that role to stay relevant as a part of the show and to be asked back season after season because yeah. you have to get that letter every June uh, that where they pick up your option and and you have to be integral to that show. So I learned that the hard way on Suddenly Susan, um, you know, or I, I didn't I don't know I learned it that I saw it. You know, Brooke Shields, right? Great, love, lovely, great, great group of people, all amazing, incredible. That was the beginning. Andrew Green, Andrew what's Green. up? Yeah, there you go. We love you, absolutely. Steve Peterman, Gary Donsick, <laughs> incredible. And I just had lunch with him. He did that three years, right? We did four years, four years. Yeah, and so, but I remember. Uh, uh, I don't know if um, if you read for uh, now. I'm blanking on his name, but head of casting at Warner Brothers for the longest time, Tony Sepulveda. Yes, Tony Sepulveda. I call him Sepulveda. Sepulveda. <laughs> Old Tony. Good old Tony, man. So Tony cast uh, Suddenly Susan amongst many of the NBC shows. He was my time. Groundlings teacher. Yes, he was. That's right. He yeah. was a Groundlings teacher. He's incredible. Mm -hmm. He kept trying to recruit me to go there. I was like, no, I'm too scared. It's great. I heard it's amazing. Oh, man, it really I could see you being I amazing. loved it. I loved yeah. it. But Tony, I remember at the end of the first season, he said, do you realize that every that there was at least one guest spot was hired, was fired every week at the t after the table read on the first season? And it was, and I look back and I go, he's right. Somebody was fired, and I won't say oh, what names. Some, some names I've been fired off a table, um, and it's and it's especially in that world, the sitcom world is. It's so unless you're hitting it at the table, there's no job security, and you're proving it at every run through, and you're fighting for those jokes at every run through, and and it's it's a very much a fear based medium. You've done a, a, a bit of a half hour too, right? Four cameras, yeah, yeah exactly. You so, know, yeah. my buddy John, I won't say his last name. <clears throat> I don't think he gives a shit. But he did a table read for a Will Ferrell, who is Ferrell's partner, Adam McKay at the time. They had this TV show and he flew to wherever and he did the table read and he went to his room and his agent called him and said, hey man, they let you go. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, the table read, I guess, didn't go well. They're looking for somebody different. And he's like, 
So you had to get on a plane and fly back. Sure. Yeah. That's fucking brutal. Yeah. It's happened to me. Do you get how yeah. how do you how, how do you remember feeling? Uh, awful. Just completely if, rejection, I, rejection. I, oh, listen, I remember it happened to me and then I, I got off the phone and my son was there and I was like, I just got fired. And he's like, and he's amazing. His response was, you'll get another one. And he's like, I was like, thank you for that. And that was so sweet of him. But it's it's one of those things where you just go, you take the blow, you take the hit. And, you know, obviously you, you, you pick yourself up and, you know, day at a time kind of thing, but you can't help but take it personally. It, there's a million reasons why. Yeah. There's, there's what's wrong some, with me it, it, what is it Why, yeah am i not maybe i'm not that great they found it, me out i'm not a great actor yeah, I, I, yeah i'm the imposter that i always thought i was it's there's a million reasons it's bullshit it's because fear-based and they didn't come and say hey um let's talk to you about the role you know the reading we, we cast yeah. you for a reason you could more energy whatever they just fire you it's so or, stupid or, arbitrary or there's always been uh a hang-up about hiring in the first place and they had someone else in mind and they never got their way and there's 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 all of these things that are layered mm. with these decisions yeah that some, out of your control some of them are out of your control some are not but some are out of your control you can't guess which ones are which you know i hate table reads I, they're I, awful I, I, they're I, awful because you don't know if you're giving too much energy and they think i'm going to be like this in the show or maybe i'm like this I'm like oh no he's kind of boring and I, well, you, fuck you and Fuck listen, you! And, listen, and 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 you write. I'm, I know you write, right? You you write, or you you write. Yeah, yeah. So you know. Do you find that a table read is helpful to you as a writer? Oh, absolutely. Just you, to, you to read. I've had some pilots read that I've written, and having friends come over and read them and bring them to life. Absolutely, it, it brings life to them. And I also, when I hear them out loud, I go, Yeah, yeah. That's not what I want in my head. Interesting. Obviously, but um, yeah, I think it does help you as a writer. It helps you. You know what you have on the page sometimes is your own voice is your is what you're hearing but when other people when you actually hear it out loud from other people it can make you just change directions or go yeah yeah i need yeah. more of that i need less of that but um that's it, not the answer i was looking for no, no. i write and I, I i i don't need to hear other people say oh you don't <laughs> i mean i normally don't but i have done it no but no, listen i but i know other writers <laughs> are like you most of them are like i need to hear it i was like no, I don't no, know you don't. No. My writing is. I'm a Harvard grad. No, no. You no, don't. No. I studied English. I don't need people to hear you read my shit. It's, it's flawless. It's flawless. It's absolutely not well, the reason. It's because I feel like it's the table reads never going to be an accurate representation of how this is going to play out on its feet. Mm -hmm. What actors are going to bring to it? You know how they're going to interpret it. It's never going to be that. And, you know, you can kind of already hear, like, I know it doesn't work on the page when I'm reading it. So I know it'll definitely, there's no one who can make this work. Yeah. You know, that's just the way I feel I about understand. it. I understand. I don't no, know. I, let me ask you this real quick, because there's a couple more things I want to talk to you about. Um, and then we get some rapid fire questions. But, God, I mean, I, there's so much I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about, for, we're going to definitely talk about your your wife's book. Oh. And it's great. Dude, it looks amazing. You've already uh -huh. told me, you'll, you'll fill me in. All is not lost shannon kenny how i friended failure on the island and found a way home if this doesn't make you like our listeners i mean go ahead go ahead and, and listen and, i can't gush about my wife enough she's incredible you brought this and you're like i think it makes sense for your show and i'm like please i, I didn't want to do a shameless plug but i thought having having listened to your show and thinking this this might be right up your alley this is about my wife gave up her career to be a full-time mom when her second son was born. Wow. She was pregnant with uh, with Marco as she was working on Seventh Heaven. You know, she was on that. And when, when, as soon as she was born, she's like, I just can't do it. I go, I, not that women shouldn't be able to do, do both. She goes, I know myself, I can't not be home 
and give this child, both of them, what they, you know, all of me. And she's like, you know, if it's cool with you, it's on you to just be the full-time actor. And I was like, are you sure you want to give that up? Because this is a woman who had no money when she came here, got into Juilliard, couldn't afford to go to Juilliard, uh, was able to win a scholarship at CalArts, did every job you can imagine, scrubbing toilets, anything, just to pay for, you know, the living expenses to be able to go to that school. And then she, this is all she ever wanted to do. And, and, and uh, she paid for the first year of actually uh, from, from uh, working as a, a soap opera in Australia, her first year of, of college, and then subsequently won that scholarship. So this is a woman who sacrificed everything to, to, for this career. And then she gives it all up after a 20 year career in film and TV and theater to do this. And then she's like, after the kids are somewhat self-sufficient, she's like, finds this cavity in her body is thinking like, oh my God, this creative spirit that I had nurtured for years what do I do with this? It's like this giant hole. And I know I should be grateful for these kids, but by the same token, I'm like, I've just, there's a death inside that me. spark is, yeah. Is, is, is gone. And I, I, you know, so it, it brought this incredible spiral and this all came to a head while I was, while we all moved to Hawaii and, and uh, I was, for me to do Lost, they all, we put the kids in school there and it was all, all kind of coming to, she sort of crash landed on the island, kind of like the plane did. And it was her whole experience that year. That book is all about that. And it, wow. so if you're ever going through, you know, a, a moment where you are completely lost as she was in, in terms of your identity, she identified herself so much as this actress and, and you've lost that identity and you're no longer that, and you've lost this dream and you've come short of your dream in the way that you envisioned it. You had to give it up for something else. It, this book is, you know, I think will really speak wow. to Wow, that's amazing. I mean, just the, the, the thought of, you know, sometimes even like on another level, it's like maybe you've, um, that thing that you've always wanted to do. And that was what your most, your part, a big part of you is gone, but maybe you have a different path or maybe you have a different whatever, or you're trying to get that spark back or there's all these different things and thoughts. And on the back of the book, the, the personal memoirs, I guess, I mean, look, look at this. You say Vera Farmiga, right? Yeah. Um, Shannon's touching, chucklesome, and shoot from the ovaries testimony reminds me that those obligatory ruts in life, be it bereavement, heartbreak, or stuckness, are things that are happening for me, not to me, for me, not to me. How do we unleash the energy to move ahead of our creative dead ends? How do we overcome the unseen forces that stand in the way of inspiration? Read this gorgeous narrative. You just may give yourself the confidence and permission to move past your feeling of being stuck. Beautifully, written. I think that speaks for itself. It, Holy shit, it's incredible. And 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 she's she's right on every level. And and it's also it, she's right. It's a chucklesome in the sense that the, uh, the, the there's a lot of humor in it. And Shannon, you know, even though she's going through all this pain. Uh, is not, uh, she's a very funny person. And, yeah. and and so she finds the humor even in, in, in the irony in a lot of these situations, but it's yeah, beautifully written by. All is not lost. How I friended failure on the island and found a way home. Get this book, Shannon Kenny. Oh, thank you, buddy. I, I, I mean, I'm, this is just apropos. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you for this. I want it autographed. Um, also, uh, I have to ask you, what's it like kissing Vera Farmiga? <laughs> All right, I'm gonna plead the fifth there. Come on. <laughs> you can't answer that, can you? I can't, no. She's a lovely, listen, she's a very good friend. You're very professional. No, Because I always talk about Kristen Krug kissing her on the small ball. I was like, it was amazing. 
listen, great, great breath. Listen, it's <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer. No, she's a listen. She's a very good friend of mine, and, and she is. I I have always loved her. Amazing. I think she's brilliant since I saw her in The Departed. She's incredible. I was like, this is an actress I will always watch. She's extraordinary. She really, truly is. And even at, you know, we did five years together. We worked five years, and and there was never a moment where I I was wasn't just like completely shocked or impressed by her insane range, you know, and oh, her man. You know, one of the here's a one one thing you always pick up things from from actors that you admire, and one of the things I picked up from her because she had so much material. She had these huge speeches and monologues and stuff in the middle of these scenes, beautifully written by Carrie Aaron. And, but she would get these and she's like dealing with kids, you know, at home and this and that. And they're young and trying to memorize this stuff at three in the morning and, you know, and you know, crying, the kids crying. And she would get there and, you know, and she would flub. And it's interesting that when you watch actors flub and they go up on a line, how they react. And usually I, I, I know I'd, I'd heard that you were an athlete or you, or you, did, you did sports growing up, yeah. and hockey and everything. Like that. Yeah. You know, and there's just, to me, I wrestled and I, you know, I played soccer and you know, I was not particularly good, but I, uh, you know, I loved sports, but I, if I mess up, I try to muscle through it. It's like, you know, and I tend to tighten up a little bit. I would see her flub and I'd do the, and I'd see her do the opposite. And she would just kind of do this thing where she goes, aha. And she would turn into jello. And I was like, what is she doing? And then I was like, oh my God, of course. You know, you can't relaxing. You can't remember anything when you're tight. How could you possibly feel anything when you're tight other than tightness? You're not going to be open to anything. And it's certainly not going to help your memory to suddenly beat yourself up because you forgot the line. And I was like, I was like, I'm stealing that. For sure, I'm stealing (laughs) that. is awesome. And it is. And it's like interesting what you learn from different talents that you admire. And that was certainly one thing I was like, oh my God, I'm taking that home. Well, we didn't, we didn't even get into this, but it's like, you know, I, I didn't know you directed a lot. You direct a lot. You create your own stuff. You like, you're doing it. You're not just an actor for hire. No. You're like a triple threat. No, I don't know about that. You are. You, I mean, well, I mean, I'm trying, you know, and you know, Michael, it's like anything. Look, you're, you have this incredibly successful podcast. You're doing things uh, outside. Not really of, successful. No, incredibly so. <laughs> incredibly so. And you know, you too, Ryan, both of you guys have this incredible podcast. And so. No, as you know, we all know, you kick around long in this in this business, so you have to create opportunities for yourself. You can't simply wait for that phone to ring. No. And I was lucky enough that Carlton Cuse and Carrie Aaron, they opened the door for me to direct on Bates Motel. So they op- that opened up- You directed whole- like three, five or something? I did three of them and, and it was an extraordinary experience. I, I mean, that was the biggest, one of the biggest gifts I've ever been given. You know, that opened up a whole new world. So I'm actually now going to, I think next week, I go to New York to direct Law & Order which is kind of full circle because that was the first thing I guessed it on uh, in prime time 31 years ago. Wow. So now I have, I'm so blessed to be able That's to- amazing. To go and direct it. So. And you you did The Good Doctor. You worked again, what you directed yes. an episode with- A, the a couple episodes. High, with, uh, uh, Freddie Highmore. Freddie yeah. Highmore, who's yeah. awesome. Who's amazing. Who's yeah. in Bates Motel, who then The Good yeah. Doctor, you went and directed that, which yeah. probably had to be special because you know him and you probably got the best out of him and he loved working with you. He probably said, yes, bring him. Yeah, I'd worked with the the, the writer, uh, you know, with David Shore before on another show, obviously with Freddie, and Daniel Day Kim produces on that show, and I yeah, worked with him on Lost. I love him. So I happen to know three different people, you know. So that that was a as another another gift, and yeah, I've been lucky enough to to you know do do a few other shows. Uh, New Amsterdam, I, I most recently I did three episodes on that show. It was, it was such are a, you do you do you feel like you're sort of gravitating towards more directing and you not as much acting, or you just want to do whatever? No, I think I, I'm open to to whatever, and I think. You know, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this. Whenever I'm doing one genre, I'm, I'm I, as soon as I finish that, I'm aching to do something completely different. I, do you feel that way? No, 
No, I don't. <laughs> uh, I usually uh, do something and then go, let's take a little break. Let's relax. Okay. No, I don't mean like you have to jump right away, but in terms of creatively, do you feel like- My mind now, I think I was, I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression stuff for like a last year or so. And I wasn't in the great greatest place. I just didn't feel like me. And now it's starting to come around. In fact, someone said last night, I started going on about, I got this project with my, my buddy that um, these guys want to do. And then I got this other thing. And then I'm, uh, I wrote this one and I start talking. She goes, do you hear yourself right now? And I go, what? She goes, this is three months ago. This is not the person that I was talking to. Okay. This is like, uh, I just want to move away. I well, let me ask you something, up. because I know this speaks to so many people, particularly with the pandemic, the shutdown, I think just in general, how did you come out of it? Like, what did you use to come out of it? You know, it's a combination of things. I think it's, you know, it's therapy, it's exercise, it's the right, you know, meds. Yeah. For not for all people, but like, sure. you know, sometimes it helps. I notice a difference with me. Um, but also a good group of friends mm -hmm. that are here for you. Correct. They've been there. They've yeah. seen it. They, you know, remember when I had an anxiety attack at my birthday dinner? Mm -hmm. Were you there? Uh, no, I don't think so. I invited you, didn't I? I think we were out of town. Oh, thank God. <laughs> that would have been awkward. But <laughs> I remember going, hey, I'm having an anxiety attack. I, I think right. I should go. And they're like, hey, just don't don't go. We're aware of it. It's okay. And I'm like, and I'm just like, you know, I feel like I was going to pass. It was just a really rotten time. And I was just on the wrong meds and getting on the right meds. And it just was like, I just wasn't me. And for the last couple of years, I just felt like, I'm just drifting away from who I am and exactly your wife's book, you know, all is not lost, which I'm going to read. Um, and with a combination of all those things that I, I spoke of, I feel like I have, um, I'm putting it all back together mm -hmm. and yet there's sort of this, there's less pressure on myself now and more excitement knowing that I have the choice, which we always do you get to. most of the time if you're lucky to do what you want to do and you don't have try to do something you enjoy try to try to add an element of fun in it um so i think it's a combination and it's like you know and so th that's what I'm, I'm going through now but yeah yeah i know you told me about your back problems which i'm sure has precluded you from doing certain kinds of act but you say you did you did some exercise right yeah look i, I play ice hockey on monday nights i play still tennis do. yes on tuesday non-contact hockey though no yes but still a very physical game. Yeah. But we don't hit each other on purpose. Um, but my thought is I could either have back pain and not play hockey and tennis and do these things and be in a little more pain than that. Or I could, you know, just say, screw it. I'm going to, you just, for my mind and for my body and the feeling of just disappearing for an hour or two while you're playing sports, I don't like hiking. I don't like doing things like lifting weights. I like competitive sports, right. football, baseball, hockey, um, tennis, golf, even golf. Golf's a little slow for me. I like a right. little, but um, I, I like the competition. I like the adrenaline. I, I like the, you know, I'm Absolutely. like, okay, this is exciting. This is a game. There's two teams. We have to win. I have to get some hits. I have to get catch a ball. I have to, that is what I really love. And right. that keeps my mind a little sharper than it normally would. I, no, no question. And it, it's scientific from what I've, I've learned through I have my therapist who basically said that if you get, if you, get your heart rate up to 135 beats per minute for 25 to 30 minutes, four times a week. It's the equivalent of taking an antidepressant for 24 hours. Wow. It's, yeah, it's, I, don't, I don't do it, that. Well, you essentially do when you're playing hockey. 
You're Maybe getting hockey, and, yeah. And tennis, you're getting your heart rate up for at least 30 minutes, over 135 beats per minute. Maybe not continuously, but over the course of it, probably cumulatively you will have. Right, You'll, that's amazing. I notice now, I box now, not like sparring, but I, I trained, you know, if I don't do it, I, I feel the down. Yeah. But if I do do it, I feel an endorphin rush that does last me 24 hours. It's extraordinary. And I think, I don't know if you saw the Jonah Hill documentary. Yeah. Or, okay, I've I, I, I got to finish it. I've watched half of it. But 85%, stut, is it Stutz? Stutz. Stutz, yeah. Stutz. Stutz, the... It, Psychi like, psychiatrist, psychiatrist or psychotherapist, yeah. Yeah, he says 85% of your therapy is is uh, is working out. It's physical. And and it's no so it's 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 extraordinary what that I think that's true, but I also think there's a big component in therapy in working your shit out with oh, someone. There's no question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. no question. But yeah, I think exercise and therapy, those two with exercise, you're you you know you're, you you have the ability to, yeah, to get in, where you want to be. Exactly. In, right. in terms of getting yourself off of that uh, or having a baseline there to work with, mm -hmm. certainly exercise is is as valuable. You know, in, in some cases as an antidepressant, it can be. Can yeah, be, can be. All right, this is shit talking with Nestor Carbonell. <laughs> oh no, say your name again in Spanish. Nestor Carbonell. Nestor Carbonell. You say Carbonell? <laughs> no, Carbonell. 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 Say sure. Yeah, Ryan, Carbonell. you're half Mexican. Uh, Nestor Carbonell. Hey, that's pretty good. Nestor Carbonell. Nestor Carbonell. Habla español. Sí, cómo no. Bienvenidos a los Estados Unidos. Sí, me llamo Lex Luthor. Tú lo hablas muy bien. Sí, sí, muchas gracias. I'm half Mexican, but my dad never learned Spanish growing up did you learn it in school no i took latin and i didn't remember that either latin. very very useful it's from the exorcist when she speaks latin you know i remember i went to uh cabo or something i got the plane this guy recognized me years ago he's like mr luthor or mr rosenbaum give me a call i'll uh, take care of you it's pretty cool, man. Yeah, I still have a message. He called me. I, I don't know why. Mr. I, Luthor. I, I gave him my number, and he goes, "Hey, Mr. Luthor, it's, uh, hey, I need. Uh, I want to give you a deal." But he was so like, cool. Oh, you, I want to make a deal with a Luthor. Mr. Luthor, we go to. Uh, <laughs> we'll go swimming. We'll do all these things with your group. Come on, give me a call. That's pretty cool. Shit talking with Nestor Carbonell. These are from my top tier patrons. The the patrons, Patreon saves the podcast. It's folks like you. Patreon.com slash um, inside of you. Here we go. Rapid fire. You got to answer oh God, them relatively oh, fast. No. Kelly S., you're simply charming. I love oh. your work. Lost, Bates, The Morning Show. We didn't even get into The Morning yeah. Show, The Weatherman. They're my favorites. How uh. did you prepare for the role as Alex Romero in Bates Motel and really get into that character? That's so sweet of her. Uh, how did I prepare for Alex Romero? Um, I remember, I remember coming to the set, you know, you know how in theater you put on the shoes first when you, you get the first day of rehearsal, you know, sure. you start with the shoes cause you get into the thing. I remember I came in with a mustache. I'd grown a mustache cause I was like, this guy's got a stash for sure. And I, and I was like, you know, I had this like massive thing that I was really happy about. I landed in Vancouver and Carlton Cuse is there and he's like, Hey man, I like the stash, but uh, I think we're going to lose it. And I was like, Oh no, there's, that's like my theater shoes. So I was like, but at least the stash gave me a grounding to start with. Like, this is a guy who makes no bones about who he is. Even, you know, it doesn't care. So I started with a stash. 
Do you grow you grow a good one, don't you? Yeah, back, back then it was not bad. It wasn't bad. I want to see it. You got to email me one. I, I, I won't. I won't. Actually, sh- I actually have. Yeah. Do you have one right now? You know how you like you have a picture. Let me see it. It'll take ten minutes. Get it out. Ten minutes for me to scroll. I got to see this because I can't grow a mustache. You're going to have to edit this now. I got to turn this fine. Just turning the phone on is going to be ten minutes here. Let me turn the phone. Jason, will edit this. Okay. Real quick, Jules M. I love your performance on Psych. Was the experience as wonderful as it looked? I love James. I love Dulé. Maggie was on the podcast. Maggie Lawson. Amazing. Uh, Such a blast working on that show. I mean, it's so much, as you know, improvising. Did you do the show? No. Never Uh, asked. Amazing. It's okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Little Lisa, do you have any behind the scenes stories you could tell or share when filming Dark Knight with Christopher Nolan? Oh my God. Dark Knight. Yes, I do. A quick one. All right. So I, uh, I have to do a speech on Dark Knight that it's not scripted on the page. You know, it's just like, yeah, the, the mayor says a few words, this and that. And I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, so you know what? I'll just write something, you know, and because I'll give the speech and then the, the joker's supposed to kill me or try to kill me. And I'm like, oh, I better write something. So I wrote something. Here I am writing Chris Nolan's script. And I, so I get to, I had done a scene the day before. I get to the hotel, it's in Chicago. And uh, all of a sudden there's a speech waiting for me there. And I'm going, they're giving me the speech now. And it's like this long speech. And I go, I had this idea of what I was going to say. I was like, why was I thinking that that was ever going to go? But now I was like, now I got to memorize that. Did you have to memorize that? Yeah. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. I was like, what? Were you stressed? Yeah. Were you nervous? Of course. Anxiety? Yeah, Massive. And it's like, there's going to be 1,200 extras. How did you do it? Awfully. So I I, I was up all night learning it. Finally, I, I, I remember being there with 1200 you know, extra background workers there in the middle of the financial district of Chicago. I'm supposed to give this speech. You know, and he's using an IMAX camera, which is like 200 grand a take is what I'm thinking. Like these things are massive and so expensive. And uh, and sure enough, I'm doing this, par- I have to walk in this parade with uh, with Maggie Gyllenhaal and, you know, and, and then, and so I, I I go to Maggie, I was like, Maggie, can you just look at this? I didn't even know her. I was like, I just didn't see if I'm off book here. And so I'm like running lines with Maggie as we're walking. <laughs> and finally I get to the podium and I like, I gotta give the speech and I don't want to read off I was like, that's so lame. They had it though? They had it there if I wanted to read this. Oh, I would have done that. I would have. No, but then it's it's like, then you don't really know it. I got to read this. Eh. But that's what a mayor would do. He'd kind of read things and go, hey. Or or usually they have those prompters where you, you know. know, And they would cut away. Yeah, but I was like, no, but no, but I didn't want it. So I wanted it. I wanted it to be. So sure enough, I'm like going up. And then like on the first take, like I kind of go up. And then all of a sudden, like, fuck, I'm going up. And there's 1,200 people. And then there's Chris Nolan. There's got an iPad. He's suing it, seeing it all on an iPad, not far off the set. And then I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. Can we go again? He's like, and he goes, Nestor, it's just me. It's just me. And I go, Chris, it's exactly. It's just you. <laughs> it's Chris. Oh my God. But it was in that moment, he really, truly relaxed me. And I was like, this guy is like amazing. So, you know, Jesus. it was like, all of a sudden I was like, dude, you're super cool. And, uh, and that was that. That was pretty, it was pretty cool, cool. for Maggie to read with you. Uh, how cool is that? Uh, Raj. Where were you when you found out you were first cast on Lost and how did you react? Well, we already know that. You already answered that question. Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you when I got, got the Dark Knight where I was. Where? I was in the jungles, in, in the jungle in Hawaii, shooting Lost and my phone rings as my manager. Oh, actually, this is interesting. And he goes, uh, I had read for Chris Nolan four months ago. And I was like, whatever. It obviously didn't happen. And so I, I'm, in the, I'm there with Michael Emerson, you know, in, you know, in the middle of the jungle, in between takes. And I'm going, why did I pick? I picked it up. My manager's like, hey, so Chris Nolan wants to, um, wants to know uh, uh, if he can see some tape on you. And I go, for what movie? He goes, the Batman one. He goes, that was like four months ago. And, and I go, yeah, because I just send him this reel over this stuff. I go, no. 
I'd just done Smoke and Aces that hadn't come out. And it was with like, Matthew Fox. It happened to be, I ended up killing Matthew Fox, which right. was another weird coincidence. <laughs> and then I'm going, oh, see if you can get Joe Carnahan to send him those scenes because that's the most recent stuff and it's universal. I don't know. Mark Carnahan was such a mensch. My manager calls Joe Carnahan. They sent over, uh, you know, a spliced together performance, 15 minutes of my work to, to, to Chris Nolan. I get a call back, you know, days later in Hawaii, dude, you're, you're doing the dark night. I mean, you know, so those are those <sighs> moments that you're like, you know, those are the, those are the highs for sure. Jeez. Plenty Last, of lows. There's plenty of lows. Oh, those I are know. The highs. Oh, I know. Last plenty question. Ray H. Ha, da, da. Have there been any characters you played where it was particularly hard to connect with them? With the character. Many. Many, many where you're like, wow, this is like my foot doesn't fit in the shoe, you know? And and uh, usually sometimes those are offers where you're like, I didn't read for this. <laughs> and they got me. And and yeah. uh, and that is the beauty and the curse of an offer. It's like, I, I, hope, I always say that. You know, you just, you, you're like, I didn't read for it. So I hope they're cool with this interpretation of this character. Yeah, there have been some where that it doesn't, it's not organic and you got to make it work. And then eventually- you you hope you do and uh, yeah, but there have been there have been more than a few for sure. This has been awesome. I, I love it. Awesome. Honestly, you're just as I thought it would be. It's no, just dude. just so easy. I told him I go. This is going to be like such a. I go. I wish I was as laid back or no, appear, appear to be laid back. But All you're so honest and humble too. It's like you're telling your story and like you know between you your are, family. Michael, and, as are you, Ryan. Here's the thing, dude. I mean, look, we get the privilege of being this incredible business. We get the privilege to tell stories for a living. I yeah. mean, that's an incredible- help people. And, and, you know, and, and, you, and you hope that if you can get, give somebody respite from their day and so if they've had a bad day, you do. If you happen to inspire them in some way, fantastic. But you have to, we have to have perspective. We're not curing cancer here. Yeah. You know, I mean, not that, not that, nope, those, are, not that those are, the, it's a binary choice, but I'm just saying, you know, you, you know we're, we're part of, we're a cog in the wheel that tells a story. And if you don't, if you lose perspective of that, oh, good, good luck to you, man. Amen on that. Uh, what's your handle so people can follow you? Oh, on Instagram, I'm I'm uh, at Nestor Carbonell, and then on Twitter, uh, at, at Carbonell Nestor. At Carbonell Nestor. Yeah, From the people me. who you know on the back of this book that your 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 uh, your wife, you guys are friends with these people, and people just people. I mean, people like working with you. They uh, like you as a person. They like your wife. You're just genuine people. And I think that people want to work with other good people. Thank they you, want buddy. life to be as easy as they can. Well, thank you. And I I'm, I know people feel that way about you. And I oh, appreciate yeah. that. Uh, I know they do. Um, I've heard that from so many people. And no. I, I know that to be true. Thanks, um, thank you, buddy. I think, you know, I think uh, being being grateful for what we get to do, I think, it, I think, I think it helps, you know, I think it helps in terms of keeping perspective like we were talking about before, you know, and then, and just staying grounded, man. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, the, and having your friends around you to keep you grounded. No question. We, as you spoke to before, the, I, I, I would love to speak to all my lows because I've had plenty of them. You know, it, you, you, you kind of, I feel like someone said it really well. I was like, I want to operate at a seven out of 10. I don't want to get too high and I don't want to get too low. If right. I'm at a seven, I can deal with the ups and downs a bit better. And I think it's yeah. finding that seven and not getting too worked up about those highs, too, too worked up about the lows can give you some sanity. Are your parents still with you? Yeah, thankfully, yes, yeah. How old are they? So my dad just turned 87 on the 5th, and then my mom is uh, 76. And they're in New York? They're in, yeah, in Connecticut. In Connecticut, Connecticut. Yeah, 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 you yeah. still talk to them a lot? All the time. Are they proud of you? 
They're sweet. Yes, they're very sweet. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're like my mom's like my agent, you know, <laughs> my dad too. I love it. Super sweet, man. But I, I wish I wanted to get more into you as well and into the- <laughs> Maybe uh, next time. I would, if I hope there is Maybe one. next time. I love you. Hey, thank <laughs> you. you. Thank you guys. That was thank awesome. You. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Nestor. Although he, he, in the podcast, he says Nestor. Nestor. I, I loved hearing him Nestor. say his name. Nestor. Nestor Carbonell. Nestor Carbonell. Nestor Carbonell. Dude, the guy's got everything. Yeah. He's got talent. He's got looks. He's a sweetheart. He was a great guest on the podcast. Married to an author. Married to an author. Mm. <laughs> You've really done it, buddy. <laughs> All right. Top tier patrons. Uh, you're going to help me out with this? Sure. Let's do it. You mean to read off of it for the first time ever? I'm not going to be good with... Uh, why don't you read them, see if I can come up with... Nancy D. Leah. No, no, no. Oh, you, oh, you, oh, you want to just... D. Okay, Nan Leah. S. Kristen. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, 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 I see what you're doing. Leah S. Kristen K. Uh-huh. Little. Lisa. U. Kiko. Jill. E. Brian. H. Nico. P. Robert. D. Jason. W. Sophie. M. Mm -hmm. Raj. C. Joshua. D. Jennifer. Jennifer. I want to say N or L. N. Mm -hmm. Yep. Stacy. Stacy's mom has got it going on. It was one of the first, one of the two letters you just said. Stacy L. Mm -hmm. Jamal. M? No. No, Jamal. Jamal F? Yep. Janelle. B. Mike. E. Oh, there's a lot of these. You can just read them now. Eldon Supremo? Are you? Yeah. Is that right? Was yeah, he no, next? that was right. Yeah, that was correct. Eldon Supremo. What's the next one? Uh, wait. We gotta give me the first name. Ninety-nine more. Ninety-nine more. Santa Santiago. M. Chad. Chad W. <laughs> Leanne. Leanne P. Maddie. S. Belinda. B. N. Mm -hmm. N. Dave. Hole. Dave Hole. Sheila. G. Brad. T. Brad G. Brad, no, Brad L. No. What is it? D. Brad D. Brad D. Brady. All, right. all right, we should go now. All right, let's keep going. Uh, so, well, I, I, I got, I got, I got. Give me a couple more. All right. Uh, Ray. Harada. Tabitha. T. Tom. N. Uh huh. Talia. M. Yep. Betsy. D. Angel. B, Angel. I want to say F. Angel P. Angel M. Mm -hmm. Rhiannon. C. Corey. K. Dev. Nexon. Michelle. K. Nope. Michelle. <laughs> Michelle A. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I did all right. I never do That's that. Pretty good. Michelle A, Jeremy C, Brandy D, Yavor, Joey M, Eugene and Leah, Corey, Jake Busey, Angela F, Mel S, 
Christine S, Eric A, Shane R, Andrew M, Tim L, Amanda R, Jen B, Kevin E, Stephanie K, Jarrell, Jim and J, Leanne J, Luna R, Mike F, Stone, Henge, H, <laughs> Brian L, Kendall L, Meredith I, Kara C, Jessica B, Kyle F, Marisol P, Esteban G, Kaylee J, Brian A, Ashley F, Marion Louise Lifus, L. That's how I'll remember that. Marion Louise Dreyfus Lysfus. Mm-hmm. Romeo B. Romeo's bleeding. Veronica <laughs> Q. Frank B. Jen T. Nikki L. April R. Cassie B. Derek N. Thank you guys for all your love and your support. And patreon.com slash inside of you. Um, I'm Michael Rosenbaum. I am Ryan Tejas. From the Hollywood, Hollywood Hills, Hills in California. California. All, right. all right. Give it away. Thanks. Thanks so much for uh, listening today, guys. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, Be good to yourself. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did. And they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.